You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Hello, listeners, and thank you once again for tuning into the Batuta Advocate Weekly Radio Show here on Desert Rock FM. As always, my name is Errol Parker. And I'm Clancy Overall. And thank you to our podcast listeners for joining us wherever you may be in this country or indeed the world. Coming up on this week's show, we've got an iconic Australian dropping by for a chat, believe it or not. Indeed, Errol. Iconic is the way to describe today's guest. He's a giant of the Australian music scene, a giant of the Australian music industry, a giant of Australian music, a man who transcends the intergenerational divide and his career has spanned generations. He's a voice that's been a constant in the lives of many across this country. We are talking about Paul Kelly, of course, the singer-songwriter who's given this country song after song, album after album and concert after concert. And just before we get into our chat with Paul, it is worth mentioning that we will be going on a tour of our own this year, won't we, Errol? That's right, Clancy. Come November time, we will be heading out on the road with the Batuta Advocate Roadshow. We're hitting 13 cities around the country, starting off on the 3rd of November in Townsville and wrapping up around a month later at the Sydney Opera House Concert Hall. So if you haven't got your tickets now, you should get them now before they all inevitably, God willingly, sell out. You can get them from www.patutaadvocate.com forward slash roadshow. We've sandwiched in places like Perth and Hobart too, so we'll be visiting all of you, all sides of the country at least, to talk about the Advocate's unique and authentic brand of journalism and how it is that we do what we do. A brand of journalism that you don't get from these elite sandstone university grads who write 2,000-word think pieces from everything about toxic masculinity to why the Beatles suck. Spot on, Errol. Too many of these young kids are coming through who've never really been further west than Indrapilly, Newtown or Fitzroy, for that matter. So that's why Central Queensland University are proud to be the sponsor of the podcast this week, and that's why we're proud to have them. And despite their name, they do have campuses all across the country, not just places like Rocky and Bundaberg. That's right. They are all over the mainland, and they pride themselves on being practical, a practical uni that gives people the skills they need. So if you are looking to study, be what you want to be with CQ University. Yes, and once again, just a special thank you to CQ University for getting behind the podcast this week. And another thank you to Paul Kelly, who's just stepped into the studio to be with us right now. Well, here we are at Desert Rock FM uh, in downtown Batuta. Mr. Paul Kelly, thanks for joining us. G'day, guys. Thanks for coming in, mate. Now, you've had uh, a bit of a flutter of albums last year and now this year, Nature. You released... How, how much are you working? Are you, are, you, are you on it every single day? No, I'm not, but uh, the songs for this record have come over the last few years and yeah. I've just been sort of putting them aside and waiting till they sort of spoke to each other and, and made something coherent. So it was a bit of a surprise that it happened this quickly, this record, so just a year since the last one. But I'm sort of, you know, I'm of the view that if got a song, record it, and put it out and move on. So um, I've got a record company that's um, pretty open to that. And they're, they're pretty good at taking anything I throw at them. And tell us, with this album Nature, have any been on your mind for a while? Or are they, is it the last couple of years for most of them? Or there's kind of ones that you kind of wanted to write um, and, and finally got round to getting into them? Um, the, see, I think there's a song called Seagulls of Seattle, which is probably the oldest, and that's been a, around for a while. It was, it was just a poem. And then when these other songs started coming along that sort of had uh, like themes of nature, I thought, oh, I'll get that one out from the back of the cupboard. So that's sort of how it works. Some, some of the songs are quite recent and then makes you think of other songs that didn't get released. 
Um, but they're all re- pretty much recorded in the last year or so. Did you record them slowly over the year or did you kind of wait until they all got in a line and then you went in the studio and just smashed it out? Yeah, when, when I go into record, uh, the way I record over the last four or five years is it's not really with a particular album in mind. It's just whatever songs I've got, I'll get the yeah. band together and we just we just record them and then I sort of sort the songs later. So it's sort of like that. I did a record called Mary, Mary Souls Sessions, which was like all in one go, these are the songs, but the rest of the time it's just record what I have and, and then, then put, put albums together out of that. So, in a, so life is fine in nature. The, the, to me they're like they're companions to each other, sort of like salt and pepper. Yeah. They're different, but they're, they sort of belong together. Your music translates across the country. Uh, have just as big a following in, out here in the back of uh, Western Queensland as you would in, in Melbourne or, or Hobart or Adelaide. Uh, did you travel a lot as a young man or, or to this day you still travel? Because it is kind of like a lot of the places you sing about or a lot of places where you resonate aren't the type of places where you could actually even find a hall to play in. Uh, well, years ago man. I did a, a, a song by Kev Carmody called Ellie. Yeah. yeah. It's from the Diamantina River yeah. country. Ended up on the Goldie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's probably part of the reason for my huge pop- popularity in Western Queensland, mm-hmm. doing those Kev Carmody songs. Actually, I've got cousins in Longreach. Durambandi? Well, he, my, my cousin organised a concert in Durambandi. That, yeah. that was the one that lives in Longreach, Charleville. So yeah. they've sort of got lots of cousins. So maybe that's and the, everywhere I go, there's some cousins going to buy the record and come to the gig. <laughs> yeah, is the family originally from down south and they moved up? Or uh, would Queensland be able to claim you in some regard as having... Originally from Adelaide. Yeah, and right. then um, the late 70s, my, after, well, quite a while after my dad died, Mum moved up with some of the younger kids. There was eight of us, so still some of the younger ones moved up with her. Well, I, I left home by then, but they moved up to Ormo, which yeah, is right. halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast. So, and that sort of became family headquarters. Right. My other brothers and sisters stayed up there and, and had kids and so on. My nephew Dan Kelly grew up around there, and he, so there's a real Queensland connection. Mm. Now, you've done 24 albums in, in 40 years. That's almost Slim Dusty numbers, Paul. Yeah. That's like that's a lot of work you've been putting. Oh, I, never, I never catch Slim. I think what he got, <laughs> no, he got no. to 105. Yeah, he did. Yeah, 105. <laughs> They're probably still releasing him albums of uh, yeah, yeah. original work. Yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah. Well, uh, Slim had this great phrase which I, which is, I still use with the band because I, I know we I played with Ian Simpson, who banjo player who played with Slim a lot, and he said every time Slim went into the studio, they would do that, cut their songs. And then there might be a song or two short, and you say, "Now, have you got any offcuts? Have you got any offcuts around here?" You know, meaning so- songs yeah, you recorded yeah. the year before. <laughs> it's sort of a good philosophy. He didn't seem to waste much, Slim. You know, he'd sort of find a way, find a use for a song if he'd recorded it. So I'm probably probably a bit the same. Mm. Do you think if you asked him though, like, "All right, Slim, what was the fourth track on your 63rd <laughs> album?" He'd, he'd say, "Oh, or I don't know." <laughs> Is it odd? Yeah. Do you think you'd be able to play it? Like, oh. How easy is it to play and remember songs for you? That oh, are from yeah. I don't remember. A while ago. Um, I have to keep playing them to remember them. Yep. Then there's some songs that I think it's a point where you've played them enough that they sort of, I think they'll probably, they'll never go away. So I, I suspect that it, when I can't remember, when I can't speak, when I, I can't hardly eat, Mm. I'll probably still be able to remember the words of some of those songs, yeah. but a lot of the old ones do do drop away unless I'm unless I'm playing. Yeah. Mm. Have you ever had a moment where you're playing somewhere and, and, and someone in the crowd, you know, it, it's 
a given that people are going to yell out, uh, you know, songs or even some artists uh, just get K-San regardless. But, uh, you know, people yell out, play. Have you ever had a fan just surprise you with a song that you couldn't even remember, like a diehard yell out, you know, play that oh, song yeah. from, the, yeah. from the third album? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a bit. I was, yeah, generally I know, I know the song and, I've, you know, sometimes I've had a crack and said, oh, yeah, I remember that one. And I have a go, I start it and then get halfway through. And, oh, what, what, what comes next? Uh, speaking of Slim, we, uh, we, we remember touring in um, Yundamu. Um, it was not long after he died, 2003. And uh, we were just about to go on stage and we, there was no sort of backstage area. We were just like leaning in the back of a truck. And then these, these two old Aboriginal stockmen came up and they said very quietly, you're going to play a Slim song? So I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't say no. <laughs> yeah. Now um, the the travelling around has happened a lot with bands and stuff. How do you find you work? The, do you reckon there's a lot more admin when you've got a bit of an entourage, or do you find solo uh, nowadays you can just kind of uh, you're into a groove? Yeah, uh, I think there's I like there's advantages to both, like, mm-hmm. like upsides and downsides to both. I mean, travelling with a band, it, especially with the band I've been playing with, it's sort of like a squad, you know, so it's it's mostly the same players I play with. So, like I said, Dan Kelly sometimes playing with me and sometimes Ash Naylor, sometimes both. But they're all what I, what I would call um, low-maintenance people. Mm-hmm. There's no, everyone knows how to get up in the morning, be at the lobby, and, yeah. you know. Yeah. There's no whinging. It's a no-whinging band. Yeah, that's yeah. that's no-whinging policy. So. That's ideal. We've yeah. known each other a long time. So that's all... Um, you know, got to, the the management is really well organised. So most of that time, things things run pretty smoothly. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's rock and roll. Things always happen. Mm-hmm. You know, planes get delayed, cars break down, equipment at the at the, at the uh, sound check is not working. But you just got to roll with it. A quick break now, and as always, we are coming to you from the Koala Mattress Studios here in downtown Batuta. Head to koala.com and use the promo code BLINKYBILL, all one word, for $150 off your next mattress. Now back into the chat with Paul Kelly. We hope you enjoy the rest of the show. What What was the last, as a as a kind of punter, what was the last kind of big concert you went to? Kendrick Lamar. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Kung Fu Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was really great. Yeah. Really great. It was summer, yes just at the top of his game mm-hmm. didn't do really sort of co- perfect carbon copies of his yeah. songs on the record he really uh, had different different ways of doing it he just I, I, I thought it was a really good concert did you see it? we, uh, we, we, we did catch uh, yeah we, we caught him at Splendour in the Grass this year yes. right I'm sure it was much less um, involved than, than his actual own concert but uh, a lot of people regardless of genre or age can see it can see a bit of can see talent and see something they want to go and see. Do you do you find that it doesn't matter what how our music genres change and and develop and even you know um, tangent off, you can see how it's happened and 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 what what appeals to everyone in it. Oh yeah, a lot of people, a lot of songwriters will like music that's not that's maybe quite different to what yeah. what they do. So like, well, you, 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 sometimes when you, you you're probably a bit more picky or critical about. Um, Music that's considered sort of roughly in your area, but I, I like to I like to hear music that's nothing like, like what I make. I don't really sort of seek out my kind of music, yeah. if you know what I mean. 
Yeah, but you have uh, in the past supported artists like uh, like Bob Dylan in their tours around the country. How would you find that? I mean, like having a person from overseas come into your town and and you've got to kind of be like, you know, all this is the end more, you know, this is a bit big, Bob. You know, <laughs> be like, I'll go out there and I'll, I'll warm them I'll up, warm for, them you, up mate. for you, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did some shows with Bob Dylan and, yeah. and uh, Leonard Kahn. I sort of think of them both. I mean, that's probably the only time I've decided to, to um, open up. Well, they were a big inf- influence on me. Um, what was interesting, that they're both great, but in complete, their concerts were completely different, you know. Yeah. Dylan's is kind of off, sort of off the cuff. He's uh, on a couple The band's just, really just sort of keeping an eye on him for, to follow what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't really say much to the audience. Whereas Lennon Cohen was very, you know, very measured. Uh, every little detail was thought out and planned. Yep. Um, I did ten shows with him, um, and it, you know, saw quite a few of them. And every night was all pretty much the same. Right. Said the same words. Yep. Um, but not once did it feel sort of like he was being programmed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because felt felt more like a prayer. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So right. Had a sense of ritual about it, and. Uh, it was just really felt fresh and new every time. Yeah, right. I'd yeah. never seen anything like it. I thought that was probably the most ex- extraordinary series of concerts I've ever seen. Really? Like, a, like going to a master class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just in songwriting, but in the way he, he performed it. That is an absolute pro. Yeah. <laughs> now, you've now at the point where American artists come here to open for you in Australia, which is kind of like the reverse of what we're talking about. American artists come here and you open for them, you know, throughout your career. And nowadays, Steve Earle. Had you dealt and been around Steve Earle um, prior to um, the last trip? Yeah, I actually met him. I met him just after his song Guitar, Guitar Town came out. Right. So I met him in Nashville, I think it was 1987. I was travelling with my manager at the time and he had a contact. Somehow we ended up meeting Steve and then little bar in, in Nashville and um, yeah, we sort of just kept in touch and when he could yeah. come out to play he would sort of invite me to the show and vice versa so we just sort of we sort of kept loosely in touch over the yeah, years yeah. Um, so, on Facebook <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he's uh, knows at least he knows a lot about a lot of things he's mm. I think he's he's um, an unusual guy mm. He'll talk your leg off, but, uh, you know, we spent two weeks together on tour. And usually if you spend that amount of time with someone who, who talks your leg off, you've sort of had enough by the end. But it's sort of different with Steve. It's sort of, it was all, you know, it's always fun. He loves Shakespeare too, so, and he knows, and when he, know, when he sort of gets enthusiastic about something, um, he just studies it to the nth degree, so... You start talking about Shakespeare, and then he's, you know, he's, he knows all this stuff about the, you know, the play, uh, this who acted in this version of the play, in what theatre, back in what year. You knows he's sort of, he's got that sort of, or um, a real nerdy uh, love of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Mm. A real, a real uh, zone-in kind of character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, tell us about the pub rock. Um, scene you kind of were around for all that and um, for a lot of people that saw it they always talk about it and for the people that missed it they always wish they'd saw it and a lot of people came out of that uh, scene as well as, as yourself that ended up having solo careers or kind of you know big touring careers 
what was it like at that point? Did you guys know you were onto something when you saw kind of the chisels coming through and all these different cities where you run into each other and and stuff? Was it? Did you know that that was um, going to be remembered as kind of an Australian, uh, you know, a parcel of time that Australia always talks about yeah. in music? No, not really. You just when you're in something, you don't really, mm. you can't really see it. Mm. I mean, it was it was good for bands because you got to you just got to work, you know. So even without being a well-known band or being being you know uh, that popular, you could still find work, you know, four yeah. four or five nights a week. With that, that I mean, it's, when you say pub rock, I mean pub rock is still around, but it's just yeah, it's not yeah. as there's not as many venues, and so most young bands would find it hard to play play you know get, get gigs four or five nights a week yeah. they have to sort of yeah. space it out mm. so it was good because the more you do something the better yeah. you get at it that's to say that was i think that was a good school in that way so there was no indication that acdc was going to go from say a darlow bar to to playing it at wembley in like eight or nine years time yeah, you would, yeah. I think ACDC will, will do it well and truly on their way by the time I start, yeah, yeah, start yeah. playing. But yeah, you, that's the whole thing about show business. You don't, you don't know, so, you know, so, somebody's suddenly going to get really popular. And yeah, you just, it's sort of. You've never, you never had that. You've, yeah. You never saw that where you saw a band playing in a dive bar and said, "All right, I think we'll see. I think this one will go through." I saw Jeff Buckley playing to about fifteen people in. New York, a little bar in New York, and I thought this guy's pretty good. But, you know, you wouldn't. But he was silly. He was quite. Yeah. You know, he was had his his style then. It was pretty idiosyncratic style. But I wouldn't have known that was going to be. Yeah. So huge. Yeah. yeah. His old boy was. He was in a band too, wasn't he? Old Tim Buckley. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. greetings from LA. Yeah, that was yeah. one of that was a big record for me in the in the early seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet surrender. So you. Had a crack at an arts degree as a young young man. What was there ever, before music and stuff? Did you have any idea of, of of getting into work or maybe join your cousins on the land? Or I left school and then I didn't want to study straight away, so I travelled travelled around. This is in 1972. Just travelled around Australia. Didn't it wasn't called a gap year then, but I guess that's what it was. <laughs> and uh, then I went to uni just because I, uh, you know, an arts degree. I did studied drama, history, and philosophy. I just didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to. Uh, I was keen just to sort of follow my own nose with reading. I didn't want to. Didn't feel like doing a course, so um, I dropped out pretty quickly, mm-hmm. with no regrets. Yeah. Well, it, um, it paid off, I guess, to not well, continue your arts degree. Yeah. I, wouldn't mind doing, I wouldn't mind doing a course now. Yeah. I, I could, you know, if, you could, if, I, if I got some t- time, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'd like to go. I like study, so I'd like to, I could. I'm probably better uh, equipped now to, to knuckle down and, yeah. and do a course of study than I was back then. Well, well you're probably due for, for another gap year after this year. You know, <laughs> yeah. Your friend. yeah. Back to back. Yeah. Now, Tell us, the theme of water um, appears a lot in, in your music. Uh, did you grow up near the beach? Did you, it's, I mean, it's a running theme and it could be a coincidence, but um, yeah. I kind of confirmed it for me on the last album, particularly on the, on the street press. Yeah, I'm well, I'm well aware of it. I can't, you know, I just can't stop it. <laughs> I live near the water now yep. and I, I love swimming and I love the ocean and body surfing. So I, I, and when I go to a new city... Uh, I always look for the water, whether it's a mm-hmm. river or the lake or the beach. 
So I don't. I just, you know, I just. I like being by water. I don't really, don't really know the reason for that. Mm-hmm. Where we grew up in Adelaide was on the other side of. Uh, more towards the hills. Mm-hmm. If you know Adelaide at all, we we're on the on the uh, near the hilltops, hoods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where did they, where did they grow up. Um, but we, we were towards the hills, and then, but we used to go. This is in the sixties. Our summer holidays, we would go to Tennyson Beach, um, which is just still in Adelaide. Side, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. We'd all get in the car, load up, and we're off on holiday. Yeah, yeah, right. I remember thinking, this is a huge long trip. And we just drive to the other side of town and, <laughs> yeah. and have a holiday on the beach. Just yeah. through city for the whole drive, yeah, yeah. Do, do you reckon right now it's, it's at the point where you, you're doing so much work where you could say at the end of this kind of um, – you've showed everyone this album, you could say, you know, just a bit before Christmas, you go, you know what, let's get another one, let's do another one. Do you reckon you're at that point now where you, you, you can find that inspiration just at the back of a big job and jump into another one? Uh, no, 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 I don't think so. No, no, no. But there's always something. I guess there's always something. There's always a sort of. I'm not generally just working on one thing. So mm-hmm. there's always a couple of things going on. I'm working on uh, a show at the moment with a classical trio, Seraphim, who are based in Adelaide. Um, pianist Anna Goldsworthy and uh, Helen Ayres and Tim Nankervis on violin and cello. And I'm working with a composer. James Ledger from Perth, mm-hmm. putting poems about birds to music, with, to sing with them. So we've been sort of chipping away at that yeah. uh, over the last year, year and a half. So that's starting to come to a point where I'd be ready to go. And we're booked for the Adelaide Festival in March. So that's sort of waiting in the wings, I guess. Mm-hmm. So often you finish one thing, but there's there's something else sort of coming yeah. along. Now, uh, just before we kind of wrap, there's one particular song on this new album called A Bastard Like Me um, for, tech, uh, for Charlie Perkins. That is, a, that is a tribute to the late Charlie Perkins, I'm just guessing by the title. But it's, of uh, it's What was your relationship with him? Because that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a song, I must say myself. I really enjoyed it. Uh, well, I never met him, but uh, I've worked with his daughter, Rachel Perkins, the filmmaker. And we, we did a film called One Night the Moon, um, um, it's like a musical film. During the making of that film, he died. It was in, in 2000, so Rachel had to, you know, go home for a while. But I never met him, but I, I knew of him. Through, he's fairly well-known as a political activist and fighter for justice. Um, I knew about the, the Freedom Ride, which is um, a trip that he really initiated with students from Sydney University to, to get on a bus and travel around country towns in New South Wales and uh, highlight the injustices mm-hmm. that's going on. Uh, and Rachel, Rachel was doing a theatre show quite a few years back uh, about the bungalow, which is a, a place where Charlie grew up and many other young Aboriginal kids with, with mixed, mixed heritage. Um, it's in part of the assimilation policy. They would take these, you know, what they called half-caste kids and put them, put them in this institution, take them away from their parents. Uh, Rachel was doing a, a project about that and sent me some more material about about that that place the bungalow and also she sent me charlie's autobiography which i read it's called a bastard like me uh, i wrote i wrote a song i wrote the song then and then um but hadn't hadn't recorded it until this year well you've you've kind of um pre that keating era rock where we were seeing a lot of that kind of music coming out of that 
kind of time with the uh, you know Goanna and Midnight Oil, you were kind of singing about a lot of uh, different issues and, and and stories involving you know Aboriginal people from a young age. Did you grow up around blackfellas, or was it uh, something you kind of as from travelling around? No, it's more from travelling. Yeah. No. Yeah. We had a couple of ab- Aboriginal kids at school, but mm. didn't really know um, many people or many families. Mm-hmm. It was more, more from travelling around later on. And then early years with the band, uh, in the late 80s, getting invited to play, play in communities and mm-hmm. one thing leading to another. I remember going to see um, No Fixed Address yeah, right. in the, in about, around 1981 in Melbourne and you know just meeting them after the show and then going back to someone's place and having a party and yeah. playing, you know, having a jam. So I guess just from being curious. Yeah. Uh, also from, uh, there was a book I read in 1985 called um, The Other Side of the Frontier by Henry, Henry Reynolds, which really uh, opened my eyes to a, um, a lot of the history of dispossession and um, the, the, you know, the war that went on. Do you still find yourself having a jam just by crossing paths with someone and you're in the same place at the same time yeah every now and then yeah. every now and then it still happens probably not as much as it used to but um, but it still happens well Paul we're just coming up to the top of the hour now it's uh, we've run out of time once again here at Desert Rock FM we'd just like to thank you for coming in it's been a, a dream come true f- for a lot of people here at this radio station so um, thank you my pleasure too it's always a pleasure coming out and uh, your album Nature set to be released on the 12th of October it's available from all local record stores or online if you've got the NBN great (laughs) thank you now there's an awe of nostalgia and uh and, and uh, emotion in the uh, Koala Mattress Studios uh, this afternoon. We are very, very proud to have uh, been able to be the first media organisation off the rank interviewing Paul Kelly ahead of this new album. Thank you for joining us, Paul. And that's it for this week. You've been listening to the Batuta Advocate radio show. I'm Clancy Overall. You be kind to each other. And until next week, my name is Errol Parker. And to play us out to the top of the hour... Take it away, Paul. I was born in the bush near old Alice Springs As far as you get from the sea My mother was a fighter, my daddy was too He never knew a bastard like me My brothers and sisters are scattered like the wind From the desert and the hills to the sea Much too young, many die But I have survived So lucky, a bastard like me So lucky, a bastard like me I have survived a hell of a life Nobody knows a bastard like me A dog every day Call me a mongrel half-breed Now mongrels are strong So if you take me on Watch out for a bastard like me Ooh, You better watch out for a bastard
taken my licks, I've taken my kicks. I am a man of degree. I wear the scars, I earn them so hard. Every day in a lucky country. Try and stop a bastard like me.